This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 242 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, it's nice to have you here today. Well, thank you, honey. Glad right. to be here. We had a fun weekend. We'll talk about some of that after this, uh, this show tonight. Uh, before we end the show tonight, we do have a listener story interview from Anthony. And you guys are going to love this, so stick around for that. Tracy, we'd like to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for everything you guys, gals, dogs, and other support animals do. Yes, thank you very much, guys. And we pray for you guys every day. You keep us safe, and we can't thank you enough for that. Absolutely. Tracy, I am kind of going to spin this in here as we talk about it this is the part of the show where we always want to remind everybody that if you're going through some hard times some struggles uh, whether it be from covid or whether it be from relationships or financial that you've got somebody you can lean on Uh, that's us you can send us a message you can call us anytime you would like you can join our group five thousand strong of just members waiting to be able to help you any way shape that they can whether that be prayers whether that mean just talking to you or lending an ear that's uh that's what they are there for and we want to make sure that you realize that no matter what you're going through you are loved and you are cared about by all of us yeah we got the best group in the world i'll say that and i'm proud of it i am too but the point i was going to make is we just had some new business cards made up advertising the show Mm -hmm. and on the back side of the card we put the suicide hotline number here in the united states Mm -hmm. so we just hand these out to like when we're at restaurants and we leave uh, for the servers or when we're at gas stations and stuff so now you know we're in the past we were just advertising the show now we are actually given a beneficial number that somebody may be able to use down Mm -hmm. the line or give to someone else that they think may be able to use it and uh, I wish we'd have thought of this a lot a lot sooner. But I know. It's a great I, idea. Yeah, I think this, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud that now we've got something to hand out that could have two purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you would rather talk to someone um, through the hotline, the number is 800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. And, you know, just reach out to somebody because we love you and we're here for you. And anytime, day or night, just give us a call if you need to. Absolutely. And as usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Top 10 hot sauces in the United States. Number one habanero-based hot sauce. Hashtag king of flavor, baby. Yeah, yo. So if you can't find it in your store, it's in most major grocery stores. You can go to elyucateco.com. Get whatever you want there. Put in the code Hillbilly Horror, and you're going to save 10% off. I strongly suggest the Chipotle. I use that stuff on almost everything that you would want a smoky flavor with. Mm -hmm. That's what set that one apart. It's got a smoky flavor to it. Yeah, it's delicious. They all are. All right, so Tracy, the story we've got tonight, I'm kind of surprised we haven't done this one yet. It's like one of the biggest stories out there, and we've kind of just, I guess, foot stomped all over it. (laughs) Just just, didn't do it, huh? We've been walking all around in the yard and never actually uh, knocking on the door, so to speak. Oh. We're going to talk about... Are we going to talk about poop? No, we will not. Oh, dang. We're going to talk about Glarm's Castle. Glarm? Yeah. Now, that is spelt G-L-A-M-I-S. Oh, what's not, there's no R in there. That's right. And there's also no <laughs> no I in it or any of that. Well, how do you so know it, it said that? Did you hit look it up? Yeah, I had to look it up, and it's pronounced Glarm's. Huh. Okay. I've heard some people call it Glom's. 
Glams. But the official from three or four different sites that I said said it's pronounced G-L-A-R-M-S. Oh, well, cool. So that's how we're going to do it. And if it's wrong, then you can just blame several sources on the internet, not me. Because <laughs> I put it forth the effort to make sure yeah, I did you it did. Right. Good. Good job. So when it comes to the paranormal, obviously, uh, is there anything more iconic than a haunted castle? Shoot, No. Even in Hollywood, people remember Dracula's castle or Frankenstein's castle. There's just something about a really old castle that's spooky as hell, even if it's not haunted. I wonder if the castle in New, in New York, the castle up here in Lexington's haunted at any My guess is no. Oh. Because I don't think anything's ever really happened on the property there. Mm-hmm. And it was a fairly new castle. It was built... You know, like in the 70s, I think it was. Maybe oh. late 60s. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Was that yeah, where a lot actually. of these castles, they were actually built as forts or whatever the situation uh-huh. Uh-huh. was. Especially over in, in you're going to see how old some of these are. Because they had like, a dang moat? Yeah, this one doesn't have a moat. Oh. And uh, unless you go to the, when you spend the night there, because it's a hotel now, you have a moat control in the <laughs> bedroom. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. That's funny. <laughs> but anyways... That one up there, a lot of people don't remember, but Lee Major, the $6 million man, when he was married to Farrah Fawcett, Mm -hmm. he actually bought that for her. Shut your face. He he didn't have it built. It was already there. He bought it for her? He bought it for her, and then he eventually ended up selling it. (gasps) Isn't he nice? Wow. Now, most of these castles that we're going to talk about as being haunted or what have you are in Europe, obviously. And what I've always found amazing is how old some of these castles are. I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this one because I really wasn't sure, but it's called the Citadel of Aleppo. It could be Aleppo in Syria. Get ready for this. It's still standing, first of all. It was built around 3000 B.C. You are lying. 3000 B.C. Lying so because you're sitting there. 5,000 years ago. No way. 5,000 years ago. The whole entire thing? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if the whole thing's there, but some of it's still there. That is incredible. Yeah. That's the oldest castle known to, to still be standing. Good Lord. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Syria is not exactly the place I think we want to be traveling to these days. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> that is so amazing. Then you've got the Reichsberg Coker, and that's in Germany. It was built in the year 1000. It's still standing. That is blowing my mind, seriously. I like how you made like 10 seconds worth of face before any sound came out. <laughs> <laughs> we just so, got to say that. So, well, because there was a big long pause, and I want people to know <laughs> that even though there was a long pause, there was activity happening. It just oh. wouldn't sound related. <laughs> And as far as other castles, you've got the Warwick Castle. It's in Warwickshire, England. And that was built in 1068. And the list goes on and on. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine the people that built that are in heaven saying, Damn, you believe that building's still standing? Man, we were good. Well, And it amazes me that most of these are still standing. And you know what's even more incredible? And I heard this actually on another podcast and i can't remember what it was but they were talking about older structures churches and Uh stuff like that i think it was mainly talking about churches but it was like how many people started building these things knowing that they wouldn't be completed in their lifetime but they were still excited about you know hey this thing's probably gonna take 100 years to build and i'm 20 or 30 years old but they knew that it was that it was something that eventually Mm -hmm. would be completed and be a a, amazing is that so so today we are going to talk about Glarm's Castle in Scotland. It's not quite as old as these other ones that we, we talked about, but it was officially opened, this one, in 1372. Mm. The history of the land that the castle is actually built on has had some bad history going back 300 years before that. In 1034, King Malcolm II is murdered on the spot that the castle stands today. Oh, no. Glarms is the oldest inhabited castle north of England and is well known for being the setting of Shakespeare's Macbeth. (gasps) Wow, that's so cool. It was the ancestral home of the late Queen Mother Elizabeth Bowles Lion. And it's been called the most haunted castle in the world. In the whole entire world? The whole entire world. (gasps) We really gotta go now. (laughs) It's even got its own monster. 
somewhat. What, what do you mean? Well, I'll tell you about it later. So we're going to cover a little history of the castle, but we'll put more focus on the paranormal because there is so much on this one. So Glarms Castle is located next to the village of Glarms in Angus, Scotland. It is currently the home of the Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn. And it's open to the public, so you can actually go there and go Very in. Very nice. It's been the home of the Lion family since the 14th century. The original castle was built in 1372, but it was rebuilt as an l planned tower house in the 15th century. So the one that's there now is not the original that opened up in the 1300s. This one opened up a little bit later. Like 1400? Yeah. Oh, that's it's still, so impressive. It's, it's still really old. So are you saying to me that the same family has owned this castle, the Lyons family, forever? For, not ever? forever, but for a very long time. Wow. Very long time. Because you figure the 14th century is the 1300s. Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm. this is the 21st century. Century, yeah. And we're in the 2000s. So the 14th century would be 1300s. Okay. Friggin' long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. Now, the title Lord of Glarms was created in 1445 for Sir Patrick Lyon. So we know in 1445 they the Lions were living it. there. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a little bit earlier that the castle was childhood home of Queen Elizabeth. She was the wife of King George VI. Their second daughter, Princess Margaret, Countess of Snowdon, was born there. The castle is protected as an A-listed building, and the grounds are included on the Inventory of Gardens of Designed Landscape in Scotland. I bet that was really pretty back then. Oh, I guarantee it was. And when it says they're listed as an A-listed building, that would be the same as being on the National Historic Register here. Yeah, I was going to say probably so. So let's jump to the haunted stuff. First of all, not all of the ghosts at Glarms Castle are tortured souls, so to speak. In the Queen Mother's sitting room, the ghost of a playful, dark-skinned little boy has been seen playing hide-and-seek. Hey, he must not have been very good at it because he's a, ghost and, like- <laughs> he's a ghost and we still see him. Aww. <laughs> he's cute. The problem with, with Glarms, like a lot of these places that are centuries old, is that fact and fiction sometimes get a little bit intertwined over the years, and it's hard to distinguish between the two. I'll tell you the stories, and we can all just speculate which ones are true and which ones aren't, because, to be honest with you, I don't think anybody really knows at this point. Well, how could you? Or how could you prove it? Right. Several guests have seen the apparition of a young girl who is very pale and appears to be frightened. Now, she stands screaming at a window that's all barred up, but her screams are silent. So you can tell by the expression on her face that she's screaming, but there's no noise coming out of her mouth. That makes sense? Yeah. Uh-huh. The legend is that she had her tongue cut out and was then imprisoned to keep her from telling her family secret. No way. No one is quite sure what that family secret might have been. So obviously the plan worked because she, she didn't tell anybody. I don't guess. <sighs> That's So we're still terrible. speculating what the plan was today. Terrible. I mean, can you... <laughs> I mean, I guess you can live without your tongue, but what the heck, man? Yeah. She won't have the joy of sticking her tongue out at anybody. Trying to like stick, kids stick do. it on a pole in the wintertime. I, can, God, stuck. I cannot even imagine that. How horrible. Like in an ice cream cone? No. Damn mean people. <laughs> there's a lot of face. There's a lot of lore when it comes to this castle. One story says that a man working in the castle in the 1920s accidentally uncovered a hidden tunnel. And what he found in the tunnel almost drove him insane. Oh, my God. The family bought his silence by paying for him to move to another country. So do you think that's what they're keeping the secret then, I guess? No, I think think he stumbled across the secret, too. Oh, I got you. Okay. There's also tales of a hideously deformed heir who was locked away in the attic. My mm-hmm. favorite, though, is that of an ancient family curse. Now, the 15th Earl once said of the curse, if you could only guess the nature of the secret, you would go down on your knees and thank God that it was not yours. Oh, my Atlanta, what the heck is it? <laughs> this is serious. I'm not completely sure what the curse was, but I do know that the family troubles go back to around 1537. 
That's when the widow of the sixth Lord of Glarms was accused of being a witch. She was then burned at the stake. Mm. From that day on, her ghost is reportedly seen every year on the anniversary of her death. It's seen on the roof of the clock tower. She appears with a red glow all around her as if, obviously, she's still got flames around her. Toasty. The castle itself has 90 rooms, and several of those rooms all have some type of dark story that's attached to it. That would explain why it's the most haunted castle. I guess so. (laughs) King Malcolm II of Scotland was killed in one of those rooms. They had the floor reboarded because they could not get the blood stains out of it. Oh, heck. This was thought to be the inspiration for the death of King Duncan in Macbeth that we, we talked about a little bit earlier. But there's going to be a lot more spirits because the castle acquired a bunch of these new vengeful spirits during the year of the inter-clan wars. This happened when the Ogilvy clan was allowed to hide from their enemies in the dungeon of the castle. They were, they, you know, they came to them and said, hey, we need a place to hide out. Can we hide in your castle? And they were like, sure. We're going to put you in a dungeon. Just wait there. And they weren't really very hospitable hosts, though, because then they walled them up inside. <gasps> Stop it. When the they wall, did not. <laughs> they did. When the wall was torn down a century later, it said that the skeletons were all found in the positions that suggested that they had been gnawing at their own flesh. Oh, Lord. Scottish author. That so, is not a good hostess. No, it's not. It's not. That is sick. Well, and then I think the story goes, even though I didn't really cover much more on that, the story goes that there was like three or four different groups mm-hmm. that were all battling each other at the time. Yeah. And even though they gave these these people, the Ogilvies, a chance to, to go down there, mm-hmm. they had actually worked something out in the castle with another clan. So it was like, okay, we'll, we'll allow them to come in here, but we're actually working for you. So when they come in, we'll just basically kill them. I mean, I get, well. I mean, I did, it didn't seem like a good idea to invite anybody like that if they knew people were looking for them and fighting, wanting to fight them. Well, I mean, I guess it's like Survivor, like the TV show Survivor, when you think somebody's in your alliance or whatever, yeah. and they're really not. Oh man, that's just that is awful. <laughs> Those poor people. Scottish author Sir Walter Scott was the adventurous kind of guy, and he decided to spend the night here in 1793. It's safe to say that he regretted it. He said, I must own that I heard door after door shut. After my conductor had retired, I began to consider myself as too far from the living and somewhat too near the dead. That's very, uh, that's a very nice quote. So basically he said that he felt like he was closer to dead than being alive by mm-hmm. all the things that he experienced in the house. In November of 1869, Miss Monroe was a guest of the new owners, Lord and Lady Strathmore. In the middle of the night, she was awoken by the feeling that someone was bending over her while she was asleep. Then she felt a beard brush across her face. (laughs) Her lantern had gone out, so she yelled for her husband to get the matches. There was just a little bit of moonlight that was shining through the, the window, and just enough that she could see a figure walk into the dressing room. She scooted to the end of the bed. She felt around for the matches. She found them, struck one, and yelled to her husband that she had found the matches. He didn't need to look for it anymore. As she lit the lantern, she sees, much to her surprise, that her husband was still lying beside her in the bed. Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. He was out of it, but he kind of mumbled, What are you bothering about? (laughs) At that time, she heard a scream from the child that was sleeping in that dressing room that she saw that figure going to. Oh, that's scary. So she runs into the room, and the child said that he had just seen a giant. They grabbed him, took him back to their room, and they tried to get him back to sleep. At that time, they heard a very loud crash, and they looked at the clock, and then about that time, the clock did a little ding, dong, dong, whatever. They had a clock chimed, back in those days? Yes, they had clocks in the 1800s, babe. Oh. And <laughs> so the clock started chiming, you know, with the 4 a.m. Yeah. chime. Nothing else happened the rest of that night, though. The next morning, 
Mr. Monroe made his wife promise not to say anything about being scared or anything like that because this would have been an insult to their host. Get over it. <laughs> but when they were sitting there at breakfast, it was right at the midway point. Another guest by the name of Fanny Trevanian came down and joined the group for breakfast. Mm-hmm. She, she blabbed, was, didn't she? She was all yawning and rubbing her eyes. And then she complained that she had a quite the disturbing night. She slept with a dog in her bed, little mm-hmm. dog. She said she usually slept with the lantern on, but somehow or another it went out during the night. The dog woke her up and he was howling. And she couldn't see anything because of the lantern being out. So she started looking for matches and her husband heard a thunderous crash. The clock struck 4 a.m. And they were frightened and couldn't go back to sleep. Very similar to the story they had. They heard Mm -hmm. the crash in the 4 a.m. With that, Mrs. Monroe started to tell her story. Even though her husband said not to? Yeah, well, somebody else had mentioned it first. I guess she felt like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. Well, there were now three couples that were at that table that all heard the same thing. Mm -hmm. None of them had any explanation. So they all agreed that that night they were going to keep an eye out for each other in their own respective rooms. That night, they're all in their rooms. Nothing was seen, but the loud crash was heard by each and every one of them, and they ran out into the hallway. As they stood there with their frightened faces, the clock struck four, just as it had the previous night. Well, at least it's punctual. (laughs) So this is all kind of like fairly usual antics in the world of hauntings. But the story becomes more intriguing on the night of September 28th, 1936. Lord Halifax was staying at the Tully Allen Castle. Now this is a really comfortable, more modern home with uh, no hints of ghosts or anything Mm -hmm. in it. On this particular night, Lord Halifax dreamt that he was back at Glarm's Castle, which had once been his late brother-in-law's home. Why do they why do they call someone who has died the late? I don't know. I got news for you. They're not only late, they're not coming. No. Not showing up at all. <laughs> Anyways, it was more of a a nightmare than a dream that he had. He was being chased by a huge man with a long beard. In his dream, Lord Halifax knew that the man chasing him was dead. In the dream, Lord Halifax offered the man broken chains that the maid had found in a hollow space below the uh, grate in his room. Mm -hmm. The ghost said, you have lifted a great weight off of me. Those irons have been weighing me down since 1846. Oh, my gosh. Remember that. Yeah. Then Lord Halifax woke up. Now, the dream itself wasn't all that important at the moment. But on that exact same night, the daughter of Lord Castleton was staying at Glarm's. She was unaware of the ghost stories about the castle. She oh, didn't she didn't know, what, she didn't know oh. anything about it. During the night, she woke up with a feeling that someone was in her room. She sat up and she could see a man sitting in front of the fire. A huge man with a long flowing beard. He turned, stared at her. She said that although his beard rose and fell as if he was breathing, the face was that of a dead man. Yikes. After a few seconds, he faded away and she went back to sleep. Very similar to his dream. Mm -hmm. The dead man, the beard and all that. Mm -hmm. So you're probably wondering, where are we heading with all this? Years later, Lord Halifax told Lady Strathmore about the incident. Of course, Lady Strathmore owned the castle at the time. But she was taken aback when he mentioned the year that the man said he had died, 1486. That was the year that the Earl Beardy, Glarm's Glarm's most famous ghost, was murdered. Oh. So that date came to him in a dream. He tells her, and she's like, what a coincidence. Oh, holy crap, yeah. I guess that would be the perfect time to talk about Earl Beardy. Was that really his name? No. Beardy? No. There are several different versions of the story dating back to the 1400s. Earl Beardy has been identified with both Alexander Lyon 
Earl II, Lord of Glarms, who died in 1453, and Alexander Lindsay, 4th Earl of Crawford, who died in 1453. Now, all these stories involve Earl Beardy playing cards, but it was on the Sabbath, and that would have been a big no-no to play cards on the Sabbath, and his host refused to play with him. And then other stories say that servants asked him to stop, and he refused. Earl Beardy had been infuriated, and he claimed that he would play until doomsday. And then another version said that he said that he would play with the devil himself. Dang, he must have been on a roll. <laughs> Lo and behold, a stranger appears at the castle and joins him in a game of cards. Beardy loses his soul to the stranger, who was the devil himself. And he was forced to play cards until doomsday. I don't really really think that would be that major of a punishment out of everything that can be given. Well, that's very true. All right, so I mentioned that Glarms had its own monster. Well, not technically. I also mentioned the horrible secret that the family was keeping and mentioned that it's possible that they had an heir to the family fortune that was kept in the attic. So we remember all those things. Mm Mm-hmm. What I didn't tell you was that all three of those little tidbits of info are more than likely referring to the exact same thing. Oh. And I'll tell you how they're connected right after this break from our sponsor. Thomas Lyon Bowles was an heir to one of Scotland's noble titles, but he was locked away in a secret chamber of the family castle. He was locked away and forgotten after being born seriously deformed. Oh, man. Come was, on now. He was cruelly known as the Monster of Glarms. He was born October 21st, 1821 at the castle. Now, the official record say that the baby died that day. His parents were Thomas Lord Glarms, son of the 11th Earl of Strathmore, and Charlotte Lyon Bowles. Rumors started to spread around the town that the baby had somehow survived the birth. This was likely from an account of a midwife who was Mm -hmm. basically spilling the secret. There was also no gravestone. Poor baby. Over time, the stories just kind of started to grow. One of the stories said that a workman ran into Thomas in a passage close to the chapel. Remember earlier that we talked about Uh, He was given money to relocate to Australia and keep the story hush-hush. So the man in the 20s that ran into him in the castle, Uh he was the one that was given money to go away and move to Australia. Some stories tell of an estate manager who refused to step foot into the castle after learning about the purpose of the quote-unquote secret chamber. Uh The story soon circulated all around Europe and even made it to North America. An article was written in the New York Times in 1864 about it. In 1908, a writer told the Oxford University Post that he knew the story for 60 years. So why, I mean, after they found out about the baby, why didn't they do anything? Who knows? I mean, these these were the big people in the, in the town. I mean, they were, when you're talking kings, queens, lords, ladies. I mean, they, they, they don't get no bigger than that. In the article, it said that the story was that in the Castle of Glarms, the celebrated old castle, the Earl of Strathmore, is a secret chamber. In the chamber is a confined monster who is the rightful heir to the titleist property. But it's so unpresentable that it's necessary to keep him out of sight and out of possession. The secret was said to have been known to only three people. The Earl of Strathmore, the heir to the the actual property, and the manager of the estate were the only three people who knew the secret that that guy was being kept there. And they all, and I mean, people probably would have loved him. Probably. A group of guests allegedly went to search for Thomas. They started hanging towels up in each one of the rooms that they could actually walk into. Mm-hmm. And then they would go outside and look into the windows and see where the towels were. Yeah. And then they would find the window that didn't have a towel in it, and that would be where the secret passage is. They found one window that didn't have a towel, and 
Well, first of all, they had to have a lot of towels. No shit, that's a lot of rooms. But they found one that didn't have a towel. They came back inside, and they still couldn't locate the hidden chamber. Now, I will say that others say that the family secret was the Ogilvy clan that was walled up in the castle. So it could be either one of these could have been well, the family secret. They're both secret. horrific. It's terrible. So that's the two the two guesses that people yeah. think are the the basically the family don't secret. I understand how people can live with themselves knowing that. I mean, well, I mean, I guess at one certain point you're like, well, I mean, that was my ancestors. It wasn't me. So you yeah, know. Well, I know. It so, would still bother me though. Let's talk about a few other quick ghost stories here. So let's go back to Earl Beardy. He likes to show up in full suit of armor and bend over children's beds and scare the crap out of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you mean like a tin, uh, not a, uh, like a... Suit of armor. Like a tin thing. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Probably not tin. That wouldn't Well, be, not tin. It probably wouldn't work very well. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Not aluminum foil either. Huh? Not aluminum foil either. Ew. That really wouldn't that work That would hurt good. my teeth. New suit of armor by Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> he also liked to curse, slam doors, and rattle dice. <laughs> Loved him some gambling. He's a hoot. Then there's a similar story to what we told you earlier about a girl with no tongue behind the bars. This one, though, says that there was a maid who stumbled upon Thomas. She threatened to tell, and the Earl said, you know what? I want her tongue cut out. After her tongue was cut out, she broke away from the guards, and she tried to escape from the grounds, but they caught up with her and killed her. They say that you can now see her ghost running and screaming silently (laughs) with blood pouring out of her mouth. Oh, my gosh. And last but not least, the gray lady. She likes to walk through the chapel while you're praying and then just disappear into a wall. This is thought to be Lady Janet Douglas who was the woman that we talked about earlier that was burned at the stake for being a witch. Oh, man. So what do you think about Glarms? Are we ready to travel over there? Or? I just don't think I want to go now. <laughs> Mainly just because I'm mad that they did that to that sweet baby and to that little girl. And I don't I don't know if it's ever been proved. I would hope not. About the, the, the little boy, the monster of Glarms. But I think most people feel like it's true because there's an actual birth date. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who've mentioned it and talked about it. Now, how much of it? How long How long did he live? How long was yeah. he in there? Was he really, you know, he obviously was fed and stuff like that. He was just kept out of sight. So at least that's a good thing. It's not like he was, you know. I mean, yeah. it, back, in, back in the 1400s, 1500s, I mean, people definitely did things a different way if you were born deformed or if you had any other kind of illnesses or something But everybody's like that. beautiful, though. True, but they didn't see it back then. How many times have we talked about um, houses for the mentally ill back in the day mm-hmm. where they didn't even put their names on tombstones. They just put numbers because they didn't want them associated with their family. Oh it was gosh. an embarrassment. Or, I mean, heck, go back to the 20s and 30s and if a girl was pregnant out of wedlock, I mean, they got sent away to homes and everything. Yeah. I just so, can't I mean, imagine. Yeah. It's horrible. What do you think about the clan being just basically bricked up and just That is crazy to, to me. That is crazy. I mean, I wonder how long they... I guess they must have started bricking them up right away. Yeah, I don't know how they didn't know. My first thing was, how did they not know that they were being bricked up well, in there? yeah, because if they had known, I mean, they should have been doing everything that they could to get out of there. And it seems like, you know, there were so many of them that they would have well, come up with something. I'm sure if you went back and looked at it, I'm sure that they were in a dungeon and it was probably maybe two or three rooms over where they started bricking it up. So it wouldn't like right outside their door. Yeah. And, you know, they're in there trying to stay away from, hide out from people. So they're probably not going to... Yeah. Be poking their heads out. So my guess is they were probably, you know. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Because, heck, you only got to brick up a doorway. I mean, think about it. I mean, yeah, but somehow, I mean, that sounds so stupid to say. Just, you know, just to do that. Brick up a doorway. I, just, I mean, how stupid is that? <laughs> and But they can't get out. And, I mean, oh, my gosh. I just can't imagine what these poor souls have gone through in years, you know. 
I don't know. It's just awful. All right, Tracy, let's take a really quick break from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and tell you all kinds of new stuff. We've got some information on the cruise, uh, some new shows lined up, and we'll just breeze through those. And then we're going to play Anthony's story, which you're definitely going to want to hear. This is kind of kind of spooky. All right. All right, Tracy, so real quick, all the shows are available. I'm not going to go through each one of them. Uh, we're, just go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com, go to live events. We've got St. Augustine, Memphis, Galveston, Bobby Mackey's, and Dallas area. So we got Woo-hoo! five shows available, and trust me, I think every one of these are going to sell out. The St. Augustine show, there are 60 tickets available, 20 tickets have already sold. Oh, that's amazing. Yahoo, and, guys. And that's, you know, eight months away. Same way with the other shows. All the other shows have sold 15, 20 tickets. Mm-hmm. So I would advise that if you're going to plan on going, you might want to snag your tickets. Now, we had a chance to do something extremely uh, that we were honored to do, and it was fun this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Joshua... Adia is doing a documentary. It's called From Hell and Back. And it's basically just people who have had major struggles and came out on the positive end. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring. It's going to be a four-part documentary. It will be out later this year, probably the first episode. He said around July or August. And he wanted us to come talk about my personal story, which we talked about in the book, and Tracy and I as far as what we try to do on the podcast to uh, bring people up and to give them an outlet if they're if they're struggling, and it was a very cool experience for us, and we appreciate him asking us to do that. And he's also going to be at the St. Augustine show, yeah. So I everybody know. will get a chance to. It was meet really him. exciting. Joshua is really a good guy, and I mean, like Jerry said, we were very honored that he wanted to include us in that, and we wish him nothing but the best of luck with everything he's doing, and it's going to turn out pretty great, I think. Yeah, I think so too. It's a, and I'll post some. Um, he's got some trailers already out mm-hmm. from you know the earlier episode that'll be out the first episode, and I'll post that in the group so you can go in there and see it. And I'll probably post it on the uh, the fan page too because not everybody's part of the group. Okay. The next big news, obviously, is we are going to be doing a cruise. Now, if you're in the group. You had a chance to be able to see when I posted and said, hey, what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? And a lot of people showed interest. The cruise will be a four-day cruise to the Caribbean. We don't have all the details worked out yet. I'll know more next week, and I'll know even more by the end of the month when we start finalizing things. But what this is going to be, it's four days to the Caribbean. Could be the Bahamas, could be Mexico, could be Virgin Islands. I don't know yet. We're working on details on that. It's going to be affordable. It's going to be something that you could probably put a small deposit down, like 50, 50 bucks to 100 bucks, and be able to make payments all the way up to July on. And my guess is for two people, for a couple, this is probably going to be under $800. Yeah. May even be way under that. And Maybe, it's next year. Yeah, next year, not this year. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to get the price down where it's closer to like six or $700. We'll find out. Like I said, that's one of the details we don't have worked out yet. But if you think about that, that could be like fifty bucks a month payment. Yeah, you got plenty of time to do it. You have plenty of time. And if you don't have your passports, whatever, um, you have plenty of time to get those. Or you can use a birth certificate. We're told, oh, but it's yeah. better to have yeah your passport. Yeah, it's better to have a, a passport. But what what is this going to be? Okay, well, first of all, it's probably going to leave out of Miami. That's the plan. It'll be late September, so we'll get away from the holidays and beginning of the month Labor Day. Here's the fun part. We are going to have, I know the guys from Ohio say they're coming. Justin Rimmel from Serious Circumstances are coming. Shane Waters from Foul Play is coming. And I can't tell you how many people even more. So they, this place is going to be packed with paranormal investigators, paranormal authors, and paranormal and true crime podcasters. And we're, and we're, we're all fun. Yeah, we're going to try to pack the place. We're going to have our own section to be able to eat together for dinners. We're going to have a free cocktail party for all of us that's part of our our cruise part. And we'll have like meeting rooms set up to where we'll do some live events. Probably going to be uh, Shane Waters, Justin Rimmel, and, and Tracy and I will do a live event like you would normally go to. 
And we're also going to have like a giant meet and greet where anybody who is a paranormal podcaster or a true crime podcaster, if they want to be a part of this, we'll be able to have one day where we'll have a couple of hours where we can set up a tables in a huge room and we'll just let everybody come through and meet everybody. Mm-hmm. Take pictures. If you want to sell merch, you can do that. But it's going to be fun. So it's going to be just filled with paranormal people and you're going to be able to just meet and greet with everybody for the whole trip. How cool is that? I'm so excited. Man, I'm going to have to start working on my bod. Shoot. <laughs> so anyways, that's we'll know more. I don't have a whole lot more information than that. I just know it's going to be four days, be the Caribbean. It's going to be fun. And there'll be more paranormal people than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. I hope you guys, you know, want to go and do this with us because we're going to be so excited to do it. And you know, like I said, we've got a, a whole year or more, a little year bit and more, a half. Yeah, a year and a half to plan for that. So we got a lot of time, and it's like we got a lot of time, but then it, we wanted to hurry up and get here. So right, yeah. But it's going to be a blast, guys. And I hope as many of you all that want to come does do that and get our cruise on. Yeah, the the cruise companies are going to bend over backwards to make this special for our group. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right, Tracy, what do you got for us over there? All right. Um, iTunes, we have, this is what it was titled, I Don't Care About Your Reviews. That's the name, yeah. Yeah, that's the name. She gave, whoever, he or she, gave us a wonderful review. Thank you so much for that. Mojo Lobster never lets us down. Uh, Go Jimmer. And I said this name last week, but I said it wrong. I don't know why. I said Billy Barton. Isn't that an actor? Yeah, Billy Barton was the little, uh, the small guy. I don't, I don't, I don't even know why I said that, but it, anyway. <laughs> he, it was, was the, he was the very short, like, yeah. four foot tall. Yeah, like me. some people would call. Mm-hmm. Um, midget, like me. Little people. Not oh. midget. That's a bad word, Tracy. We're not supposed to say midget. Oh, I'm sorry. I was referring to myself. I tried 20 different times to say something different. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean nothing by Little it. people. Little people. Yeah. Billy Barton was like one of the most famous. He was in a tons of movies. Oh, yeah. Stuff. He's yeah. good, too. Yeah. And But anyway, it's B.W. Barton. So I just want to make sure I change that. Thank you, guys. Your reviews were amazing. And we appreciate y'all so much. And our Patreon is Deb Deal. Cindy Newhouse and Louisa Perillo. Thank you guys for your support. It means the world to us. And man, I just feel happy inside. I just feel so happy. Good. Spring is coming. It's been a beautiful four days here, at least. The sun's been shining and our little flowers are starting to come up. So we're getting excited about what's to come this year. And, you know, thank you guys for hanging with us and being a part of that with us. Absolutely. And if you want to become a Patreon member, just go to patreon.com, look up Hillbilly Horror Stories, or go to our main page on the on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. You can find tickets to the shows. You can click and support the show. We had somebody ask again the other day, and it's up on the website. If you don't want to become a Patreon supporter, but you do want to make like a one-time donation, there's a spot on there to do that. So cool, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, but do that. And there's also the link to Paranormal Kicks Cancer, which is the... A charity that we chose to team up with. You can click on that, learn all about the charity, and if you choose to donate, that's the place to do it. Now let's listen to Anthony. Hey guys, I have uh, I I don't even know how to even start with this one. This was uh, this is a, a fantastic guest we got on Anthony Kegler from South Carolina. Uh, Anthony, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to start off before we start talking about your stories on something very weird that happened involving uh, how we got connected. So apparently this was a couple of nights ago. I was sitting at home with, with Tracy. We were watching uh, uh, a Crystal Rogers documentary on Netflix or or it wasn't Netflix. It was one of the other ones, uh, Peacock. And as we're sitting there watching this, we literally sat there from like 630 till midnight and right around midnight, we went to bed. And the next day, I think it was uh, probably one, two o'clock in the afternoon, my phone rings. I see it's from South Carolina. I had just gotten a call earlier today from uh, with some of the resorts out there at Hilton Head and Myrtle Beach. And when I saw it was South Carolina, I assumed it was probably one of those places again. And and when I pick up the phone, it's Anthony. And and when he answered the phone, I'm like, hello. And he says, hello. And and it didn't sound like a business. So I was like, well, maybe this isn't one of the resorts out there. And uh, Anthony 
says, I was calling because I missed your call last night, so I'm just returning your phone call. Well, obviously, I didn't remember calling anybody. And uh, he tells me that the time was like really close to midnight, which is about the time we were going to bed. So I look at my phone while we're still talking to each other. I look at my phone and I see that I don't have any outgoing calls or missed calls. Uh, the only last call I'd had was from like 4.30 in the afternoon. And that was when I called my daughter. So that was very odd. On top of that, I hadn't talked to Anthony before that. And then I had no way of having his number to be able to call him. So as we start getting into this and it starts unraveling, Anthony tells me that he had sent, uh, was trying to send a message to us about some stories that he had. And this was through messenger though. So, so it wouldn't through text or anything like that. And he's trying to send this message. And as he gets it all typed out and gets ready to send it, his screen glitches, it goes black. So it never sent. Plus, I didn't have any message from him, but somehow, some way, there was a missed call from my phone number to his number that I didn't have, and that's what encouraged uh, Anthony to call me back, and then we talked a little bit about some of the stories, and I thought, you know, we got to hurry up and get you on, but I also want to be able to tell how cool this experience this was, and uh, so it kind of, it's just kind of one of those unique coincidences, I guess we'll say, but Anthony, thanks again for coming on. After we got off the phone the other day, and you thought about that, about after everything I told you, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, really, I, I thought about it for a while, and it's just one of those things that I guess was meant to happen. Um, you know, throughout my life, I've had things happen in mysterious ways, and I guess that's just another one of them. So let's go back to 1983. You had a horrible experience that began with a premonition. So tell me a little bit about what happened in 1983. Well, uh, me and my brother, uh, he was 10 at the time. I was eight. Um, we had went over to one of his friends to uh, spend a few nights over there and we were uh, riding our bikes and uh, jumping ramps and stuff. And uh, this was uh, in 83 and in 82 for Christmas, we had got brand new bicycles and it was the first year they had the handbrakes on the bicycles. And, uh, but we were over at a friend's house and riding our bikes and jumping ramps and everything. And uh, we had had the ramp set up in the driveway uh, and there was a trail that went from uh, our friend's grandmother's house to their house and around to the driveway. Well, my brother uh, got on his bike and he picked up pretty good speed and he was going to jump the ramp, but then he decided he was going too fast. So he kind of, uh, he went to match his brakes and they didn't stop him. And a lady had come around a corner, and it just so happened she had her uh, two-year-old granddaughter in the car, and she dropped her cup. And as most people do, reached down, pick it up, and whenever she looked back in the road, my brother was in the middle of the road. And she ended up hitting him, and uh, that broke his left leg, and he went over to handlebars and hit a oak tree. Um, good size oak tree head on and uh, bounced off of it and hit another tree and then fell to the ground. Um, the night before all this happened, uh, I dreamed everything that I watched that day and uh, I woke up crying and my friend's mother, you know, consoled me and went, oh, that's just a dream. Well, a few hours later, I watched my dream happen in front of my eyes. And uh, when I say it was like in the movies where everything just stops and it's very slow and, I mean, it was just like a minute to, or a few seconds took hours, you know. And uh, whenever 
it was over with, I ran across the road and looked down at my brother and first thing that popped in my head is, are you okay? And uh, he was laying there, uh, purple, a big knot on his head. Um, and he looked up at me and he said, I need help. And, you know, I jumped up and ran to, you know, our friend's house and told his mom to call, you know, an ambulance because my brother had been hit by a car. And then I ran back out there and I went over to him. And uh, I kneeled down beside him and kind of started rubbing his head. I said, uh, you're going to be okay. Help's on the way. And uh, he looked up at me and said, I love you. And uh, that's the last thing, I, you know, interaction I had with my brother. But the thing is, is... Um, in the shape that my brother was in and the injuries that he had, the doctors and everyone said there's no way that he could have said, spoke anything. I mean, it, it broke his uh, first and second vertebrae, you know, going to his head. And uh, he couldn't breathe. They had to intubate him. And uh, for a long time, my parents thought I was lying about it. And, you know, I, it's just, I don't know if it was uh, his spirit letting me know or, or what it was, but I was told in his condition, he would not have spoken in a word. But uh, I, I continue to have that dream a lot. Uh, you know, it's something that's always going to be stuck in my head. Did your parents believe you that you had the dream the night before? My mom did. Because um, she had a similar dream, but it, it, you know, it didn't involve my brother. It involved both me and my brother, not of him getting killed or either one of us getting hurt. But it was kind of like a, I guess, a memory dream to where we were smaller and you know, waving at her like goodbye, like she was riding off in a car. But she, she, you know, believed that I, I dreamed it the night before it happened. Obviously, that was a a horrible thing to witness. And then not only do you witness something horrible, but you lose a brother as well. I can assume you guys were probably close, to, judging by the, the the closeness in age and and. Being that young, you were probably inseparable. Yeah, uh, everywhere he went, I went. Uh, we played baseball. Um, where we lived, we lived in a mobile home park. And in, in the mobile home park, there was uh, a lake called Silver Lake. And uh, it was basically like a beach. It had, but it had a high dive, low dive, you know, middle pier and everything. It's where everybody went to swim and all. And we hung out there during the summer times. I mean, everywhere he went, I went. Well, I'd like to be able to say that, you know, that would be a one-time experience to witness something so horrible in your life to a close family member, but that wasn't the case, was it? Not at all. Tell me um, a little bit about your father. Uh, well, after, you know, my, my brother died, um, you know, he was the firstborn, and usually the firstborn takes to the father, and the father takes to them. And he was more or less um, my father's favorite, you know, the way I saw it. But uh, And that, my father, he kind of sunk into alcohol pretty good, and we didn't have much of a relationship. Um, mo most of my life, he told me, you know, when I was younger, you know, when he was drunk and all that, it should have been me. It shouldn't have been him. And that stuck with me. And it gave me grudge against my dad. But, you know, later in life, when I got with the uh, woman I'm with now, she uh, kind of helped us 
build our relationship back, you know. Um, and uh, we were beginning to get become good friends. And it was, I think, 2016. I was bringing him home from a eye doctor's appointment, and uh, he had a massive heart attack and basically died in my front seat. Not to sound like a psychologist or or anything, but how did that make you feel? Obviously, you've got the the normal feelings of of oh my god, I've lost my father, and this happened right here. But did you feel like at any point in time that your relationship didn't give you the full amount of remorse from some of the things because of some of the things that he said when you were little, or did you feel like that that kind of went away as soon as he passed away and, and you were free of that and, and felt complete uh, remorse over his passing? Well, um, a couple of years before he passed away, uh, we had a long talk and he, he asked me, you know, why do you dislike me so much? Why, why can't we get along? And, you know, I told him, you know, if you hadn't told me that you wish it had been me. And when I told him that, he got a look on his face like, I don't even remember saying that, you know. And he said, son, back then I was drinking so much, I really don't remember saying that. But if I ever said that to you, and he started tearing up, my dad, He's not the type of person that would tear up. I mean, it took a lot to get him to show any emotion as far as, you know, compassion or anything like that. But uh, when he started to tear up, I, I kind of felt then that he really didn't know what he had said. And uh, that kind of helped me out. And we started getting closer. And whenever he had his heart attack, it was uh, kind of harder on me in the respect that we were just beginning to become friends and talk. And, you know, uh, he, he had got to where he'd call me just about every day. But uh, that part of it was really hard. How old was your father when he passed away? He was uh, 70. He was he, he died actually a week before his 71st birthday. Man, it's tough when you when you're reuniting and everything seems to be going the right path and then something like that happens. So I, I definitely feel where you're coming from. Now, you've had some other situations. Unfortunately, that's not really the last of it. Tell me a little bit about your mother. Um, my mom, uh, I think it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. Uh, in April, she had, she had uh, slipped and fell and broke her hip. And uh, they, you know, took her to the hospital and they called us from the hospital and we went up there and all. And she, uh, they told her that she had broke her hip and she was going to have surgery the next morning. And my mom broke down and started crying and said, uh, that's it. I, I'm going to die. And I said, Mom, you know, you've been through a lot more than this, you know, because she had recently had a stroke a couple years before. And she rehabbed herself and everything. Got, but I said, this is nothing, you know. But uh, whenever she went in for a surgery, they put her under anesthesia. And uh, she never come out. And we waited, I think, three days, two or three days. And uh, the doctor said that, you know, she, she was wasn't showing any improvement actually she was getting worse so then i had to make the decision to uh for them to stop the machines and uh at uh eight o'clock in the morning she passed the next morning she passed away and 
the funny thing about it is that she had a pacemaker and for probably five to 10 minutes after she actually passed away, her heart continued to beat because of the pacemaker and they had to put a magnet on her chest to stop it. And then, you know, she flatlined and all of course, but, uh, that was pretty, uh, mind boggling to me. Yeah, that would be tough to, tough to deal with. You know, I, I went through similar with uh, my mother went in for something that should have been, you know, routine and uh, she didn't make it out of the hospital. She was 54. And, you know, that's something that haunts me to this day. And that was, you know, 15 years ago, roughly. So, I mean, I, I know what, what you, you know, how that feels to, to have somebody go through something. And, and you were talking about your mother, how she was, had this just thoughts that she wasn't going to make it out. And my father had uh, a heart procedure done last year and he had the same kind of thoughts. Of course he did, you know, come through it with no issues, but he was dead set that he just was not going to make it out of that hospital. And to the point where he was, you know, petrified and that's not my dad. He's not somebody who's, readily scared but he was petrified that he was not making it out of this hospital so yeah it's 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 really tough man it's it's uh you you've been through a lot you've been through a lot my man and i'm sorry you had to go through all that and see all that so up close yeah but uh as they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and i I just think that it's especially with uh what happened to my brother at an early age it opened my eyes that uh, nobody knows when their time is going to come. I've always believed that from the day you're born, you start to die, you're on the timeline. And whenever that final uh, second ticks, that's it. Um, That's just the way I feel about it. So besides the premonition of seeing your brother, have you had any other dreams that have come true over the years or had any other kind of paranormal experiences that maybe you felt was, you know, maybe your brother trying to make contact with you or, or even recently with your parents? Well, um, with my brother, I've always felt that he, he's been with me um, everywhere I went. Um, I just, from the time he died, I've always had a sense of loneliness. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm in a crowd of a thousand people. There's it, just something in my body that makes me feel alone. And I kind of feel like that's him. That's his feeling because he can't really touch us or, or, or we can't touch him or see him or be with him. And I, do, I think that's the feeling of, you know, how he feels. Um, that's just, I mean, the way I feel about it, but I think, uh, you know, to me, my brother was, uh, larger than life. Um, he could beat me up, but he wouldn't let nobody else. You know, one day <laughs> we played baseball together and all, I mean, we, we were pretty tight knit and whenever he passed away, after that, you know, I, 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 I would dream every single night what happened every night and to where I, I just got used to it. But, yeah, there would be times where, because uh, we shared the same room, there would be times where it would get really cold in my room like, during the summertime, you know, to where you could almost see your breath. It would get, you know, very cold and if I were going to do something that maybe I shouldn't do, I, I always felt like something was pushing me back, you know, to where I could physically feel like hands, like, no, you, you don't need to do this. And my brother used to do that all the time. Um, he was kind of like my overseer, for lack of a better term. Well, Anthony, I appreciate you coming on, buddy. I know it's tough reliving some of these these moments, uh, and, and you know, like you said, you you have the dream still to this day, 
And so you're constantly reliving it. And it, it takes a lot to be able to step up and say, hey, I'm going to share these stories with other people. But as I've said in the past with difficult stories, I think there'll be a lot of people that'll get a benefit from this uh, because I think that'll make them feel better about their situations that maybe they're experiencing. I hope so. Um, anytime that anybody's had a question or anything uh, pertaining to my brother, you know, when I tell him the story or what have you, I don't mind, you know, answering questions or anything. Uh, it's been almost 40 years. So, you know, I've, I've learned to deal with it pretty good and, you know, Talking, I feel, helps. Uh, if you keep everything bottled up and inside, it's just a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. But uh, the more you talk about it and get it out, the better you feel about it. Well, I, I can't think of a better way to, to end the interview than that because no truer words have ever been spoken. So bless you, brother, and thank you for coming on. Thank you. Love the show. Love the show. We appreciate it. So how about that for a touching story? Ooh, that gave me chills. Wow. I mean, the part where he's, you know, his brother is talking to him. Yes. And then they tell him that, that there's no way that his brother yeah. could have said anything. You know, that's that's amazing. Wow. I can't, I can't even imagine that. So. Well, thank you for sharing that, Anthony. That story, it was, it was really something. Yeah. All right, guys, we will see you next week. We hope you all have a blessed week and we'll see you next week.